Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Genocide is the intent to exterminate in whole or in part a specific group of people, often based on nationality, ethnicity, race, or religion. For the past two years in the Darfur region of the nation of Sudan, located in north-central Africa and populated primarily by black Africans, the Sudanese government has been committing racial genocide. Reports are that as many as 400,000 black African civilians have been murdered by the Sudanese government together with Arab rebel groups in Darfur. Professor Sam Totten, a scholar in genocide studies at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville, visited the Darfur area in the fall of 2004 and has been examining this present-day massacre that most of the world has chosen to ignore. I spoke with Professor Totten from his home in Arkansas and asked him to explain the reasons behind this genocide. called black Africans feel that and have expressed this that they have not been treated well by the Sudanese government more specifically they feel that they have not been provided roads to travel on they have not been provided health care schooling etc and even though they're taxed they have not accrued or been given these benefits that they feel are rightly theirs. So the result is one group is dominating the other and engaging in genocide, as it's been called by former Secretary of State Colin Powell. Right. Well, the way this situation was sparked is this, is that the black African actually became so frustrated with the situation that a rebel group was formed. The rebel group actually started attacking GOS, or Government of Sudan, military installations and government offices as a protest in regard to the lack of medical care, the lack of schooling, the lack of infrastructure, etc., because the GOS was not addressing the needs of the uh, black Africans. There are actually two main rebel groups now, the Sudanese People's Liberation Army. And another main group, the name is very similar, but it's different. It's the Sudanese Liberation Army, or the SLA. Are they seeking the same thing? They are basically seeking the same thing, um, though there have been political differences between the two groups. My understanding now is that the situation is even worse, that both groups have splintered again, and there are now splinter groups of the two rebel groups that are battling the GOS and the Jean Jouid. Basically what they're about, what they've argued for, is equity in regard to goods and resources and justice in regard to the way the courts and the government treat them. And that group is composed primarily of the black Africans who are the villagers in Darfur. 
Yeah, this is a very important distinction. Yes, they come from the black African group. Of course, they come from certain villages. But for the most part, many of the villagers are not part and parcel of the rebel group. And yet they have been attacked, meaning the villages, the men, the women, the elderly, the young, the babies, the infants have been attacked by the government of Sudan troops and the Janjaweed. The Janjaweed is an Arab militia. In Arabic, Janjaweed means devils on horseback. So it's more of a visual and cultural look as opposed to a religious affiliation and religious strife. Without a doubt. It is not religious strife in Darfur as it was for a good number of years down in southern Sudan where Christians were fighting Muslims. Professor Totten, can you tell us about the root of the problem? There's been a conflict in Darfur for the past 20 years or so between two basic groups, the black Africans, and that's the way they refer to themselves, who are basically sedentary people, and that is they farm. They live in villages, and they farm the land around the villages. They have been in conflict with nomadic groups that graze their cattle, move about, and need land for their cattle to graze on. What has uh, exacerbated the situation is that for a number of years, there was a severe drought in the area, and as a result, the nomadic groups started to encroach upon the sedentary groups. Nomadic groups consider themselves Arab and perceive Sudan to be their land, and thus there have been conflicts that have resulted in small engagements and battles, conflicts uh, among villagers and, and nomadic people. Professor Totten, can you define the groups of people that are being killed? Three specific groups have been singled out. One is called the Four. It's spelled F-U-R. In fact, Darfur means land of the Four. The other group is Zagawa, Z-A-G-H-A-W-I-A, and the third group is Mausolite. And as I mentioned, they are primarily farmers. So is this attack what has been characterized as genocide? Yes. Uh, so what it has been, uh, there's some debate over that uh, currently, but uh, the, the attacks by the government of Sudan and the Jean Jouid over the past two years has been determined to be genocide by various groups, including the United States, various human rights organizations, and scholars, but a commission of inquiry that was established by the United Nations that went into Darfur in December 2004, January 2005, went in after Colin Powell, U.S. Secretary of State, declared the situation in Darfur to be genocide. But in December and January, the Commission of Inquiry conducted a study in Darfur and declared it not to be a case of genocide, but rather a case of crimes against humanity, but left the door open that uh, contingent upon uh, the collection of further data and additional analysis, uh, it might be considered genocidal. How do we distinguish between crimes against humanity and genocide? 
Right, that's a, that's a key question. Crimes against humanity would be anything along the lines of sporadic massacres of individuals. It could be torture of individuals, rape of individuals, sexual molestation of both men, women, and children. Genocide is the intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a specific group of individuals, national groups, ethnic groups, racial groups, religious groups. With genocide, there has to be the intent, and that can be inferred from what is happening on the ground or a directive from the government, something either that was broadcast on a radio, television, or written in a government document, to actually go out and rid the area of a specific group of people, and generally it means to kill those individuals or prevent them from giving birth that would lead to the extinction in whole or part of this particular group of people. The Sudanese military and the Jean Jouid carried out all sorts of verbal attacks against the victims, which is another aspect of genocide. That is, singling the people out as different or as others. They called the black Africans Nuba, which is used by the Arabs as a slur to denote slaves. They also call them slaves. They also call them slave dogs. They also said, you're not a real Sudanese, you're black. They've referred to them, interestingly, as Tora Bora. Now, Tora Bora, as you know, is that range of mountains with all the caves in Afghanistan, and the allusion is to suggest that the uh, black Africans are terrorists that need to be uh, gotten rid of in, in Darfur. The thing about calling the people dogs and slave dogs, I mean, that, there's an interesting and disturbing relationship to all sorts of other genocides. During the Holocaust, the Nazis referred to the Jews as vermin, the poisoners of Aryan blood. Interestingly, during the Cambodian genocide, the Khmer Rouge referred to the Buddhist monks as leeches and bloodsuckers. And when the Iraqi government attacked the Kurds in 1988 as part of the onfall. They referred to the Kurds as insects. And then coming up to 1994, the Hutus referred to the Tutsis as cockroaches. In all cases, what do you do with these insects, these mad dogs, uh, the vermin? Will you get rid of them? And, and so that's been part and parcel of genocides going all the way back, actually, to the Armenian Genocide of 1915-1919. I'd like to take a moment and say that in this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Professor Sam Totten, a professor in the College of Education at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, whose specialty is in the history of genocide and its current existence in the world. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Professor Totten, can you tell us why the international communities are not becoming involved to stop the genocide that you're describing in Darfur, whether it's genocide or crimes against humanity? Why aren't they there? There are troops currently in Darfur that were placed there by the African Union. However, the number of troops are extremely small, they are under-resourced, and they are not working under a mandate that allows them to actually engage in battle with the Jean Jouit or GOS to prevent them from attacking either new villages and or internally displaced peoples. Why aren't they getting more support from other countries? 
Right. There are a number of reasons. The most obvious one is realpolitik. Each and every nation seems to have its own vision of what it's willing to do when genocide takes place, whether it's going to face the fact that genocide is being perpetrated and something must be done to uh, halt the killing. But let me give specifics. If we look at the U.N. Security Council and its composition, there are two members that have vetoed every single attempt to address the problem in Darfur. I think it's important to say that for an order or directive of the United Nations Security Council, it needs the unanimous vote of the permanent members of the Security Council, and that if any of them veto the proposal, it will not occur. Exactly. And thus, Russia has a large arms deal with Sudan right now, and thus does not want to endanger that economic situation. And China has a petroleum interest and are actually drilling in Sudan, and thus they do not want to upset that economic interest. Now, the United States, it's a more complicated situation. Back in the summer of 2004, of course, the United States Department of State sent a group of individuals 24 investigators down to Chad to the 19 refugee camps along the Sudanese-Chad border. And, and I happen to be one of those individuals. Our express purpose was to go in conduct uh, systematic interviews with Sudanese refugees who had fled Darfur. And we used a questionnaire that was developed by the U.S. State Department and the express purpose was to try to ascertain what these people experienced and to send the data back to the U.S. State Department to be analyzed. During the course of the month that this team was in Chad, over 1,000 interviews were conducted. The data was sent back to Washington, D.C., and the State Department research arm analyzed it, submitted a report, and Colin Powell, then Secretary of State, declared it genocide. What kinds of questions were asked in this questionnaire? We started out by simply asking the person's name, uh, where they were born, how old they were, what sort of education they had, how many years, anything about who was living with them in the refugee camp and their relationship. And then the first question was, why did you leave your village? And of course, we asked where their village was. We had a book of maps that we could turn to and have people specify exactly where they lived. From there, we asked what happened during the attack, who entered first, how did you know the attack was taking place, did you have contact with any of the perpetrators, what did they look like, what uniforms were they wearing, uh, what sort of vehicles did they come in, what did they say to you, if anything, and then, of course, what happened to you and your family members, your village, what did you personally witness, and what transpired after you left your village, how long did it take you to get to Chad, why did you come to Chad and not stay in Sudan, and then we went through piece by piece by piece in regard to what they lost, how many camels, how many donkeys, how many horses, uh, if they had any vehicles, bags of seed, uh, everything. Was there a uniformity of response? There was. I mean, what they, were those responses? Well, I should state that these interviews were detailed. They ran from 50 to 120 minutes or two hours. And 
a number of things came up. One is that the attacks were almost always carried out by both the Sudanese government and the Jean Jouit. Generally, a uh, plane would come over ahead, an Antonov, which is a Russian plane, and uh, bomb, and then that would be followed up by the uh, GOS racing in four-wheel vehicles, along with the Jean Jouid coming in either on the four-wheel vehicles and uh, uh, on camels and horses. Who is the GOS? The GOS are government of Sudanese, uh, Sudan troops. So they, they appeared in uh, their uniforms. They had uh, government vehicles. Uh, they were well-armed, and the planes that were flying over were government planes as well. This is the same government that is allowing China to drill for oil in the Sudan and is also purchasing military equipment from Russia. That's correct, and we really need to talk about the United States ultimately as well because that's become complicated over the past eight or nine months. As soon as Colin Powell declared that genocide was being perpetrated in Darfur, he made the comment that that doesn't mean that the United States needs to do anything different than it's currently doing. Well, the United States wasn't doing anything at that time other than calling for certain sanctions by the U.N. certainly was not calling for intervention of any sort. It was also not supporting planes to go in to control the airspace over Darfur to prevent attacks. If we look behind that, would we not find that the Sudanese government is also supporting President Bush's war on terror, at well, least nominally? That's the next part of this, exactly. In fact, recently this was divulged that the Sudanese government is, in fact, not only providing information to the U.S. government in regard to terrorists, but also assisting in their arrest, either in Sudan or as they travel through Sudan. So it's a situation where the United States has a vested interest in, of course, collecting as much information on terrorists as possible, al-Qaeda, and thus the United States seems to be looking the other way in regard to what is taking place on the ground in Darfur. Be more specific when you say looking the other way as to what is going on on the ground. Well, yeah, we know that the numbers of killed, I'm talking about actually killed, range from about 80,000 now to, to 160. Now, these are the people who are the villagers who uh, formerly lived in Darfur. Right. Some of them still remain in Darfur. There are 2 million internally displaced people in Darfur right now in IDP camps, internally displaced camps. There are another approximately 200,000 people in Chad in the 19 refugee camps there. In other words, culturally from the same group who have fled for their lives to the neighboring country to the west. Exactly. Now, to go back to your question, uh, it's, it's estimated... Uh, the high number of deaths is estimated at approximately 400,000. So that's not only including the people who were murdered, but it's being called genocide by attrition. What that means simply is that many, many people have died as a result of their injuries that have not been treated. They've died from starvation. They've died from a lack of water. Oftentimes when the Jean Jouid and GOS come in, uh, it's been documented that they poison the wells by throwing dead animals and or people into the wells. 
elderly people and young people have had to travel and they've often died on the way due to illnesses. Mass rape has a permanent presence there from the GOS and the John Jouit attacking the black African women. It's estimated today that 500 people are dying a day still in Darfur. The United States ratified the UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Genocide. It's not legally bound. No country is legally bound to act, but there's a moral component to it that once you ratify the UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Genocide, you promise that when genocide rears its face, nations that have ratified the UNCG will take action. Most of the action that has been taken place, not only by the United States, but by the European Union and by a good number of other countries, are basically cosmetic. They'll make a declaration against the Khartoum government. They'll call for sanctions. Then the sanctions won't be passed at the UN. They'll call for a flyover zone or not support it. That has not been implemented. And no countries other than the African Union have been willing to put troops on the ground uh, to prevent the ongoing killing. Now, that's not to say that they haven't done anything. Uh, the United States alone has allocated at least $93 million for Darfur. Roughly 50% of it is to support the African Union troops. 50% is for humanitarian aid. But that's a drop in the bucket in regard to what's needed, simply because, again, the African troops cannot cover the entire area of Darfur with a limited manpower that they have and the mandate. Well, Professor Sam Totten, where do you see this going in the near and not-so-near future? You mean Darfur? Yes. Well, unfortunately, I see the uh, killing continuing unabated until the area has been to use a term that's popular today and that I don't like, until it's been ethnically cleansed. By the Sudanese government against the people of Darfur. Exactly. And that's the way it's going. That's the way it's gone for the past two years. And my sense is by the time that more troops are put in, and actually more African Union troops are going to be put in, but it's still going to be a limited number under a mandate that does not allow them to attack the GOS or the Jean Jouid. The problem is going to be uh, moot. Either all of the black Africans are going to be in IDP camps or they're going to be in Chad in refugee camps. And during the course of the interviews, we actually heard individuals, I personally heard individuals say, that the government of Sudanese troops and Jean Jouid actually came in and said that the president of Sudan, al-Bashir, sent them there to clean the area of black Africans. Can you draw some similarities between this situation and what we saw in Rwanda? Well, uh, in Rwanda, of course, the genocide was very, very fast. It took place in 90 days. There were many people, your so-called common man, common woman, who took part in the killing. In fact, it's been called a machete killing because much of the killing was done by machete. Approximately 800,000 to a million people were killed in 90 days. What we see in Sudan is not being perpetrated by one group of citizens against another. It's by troops and militia that 
have directives from the government to go in and cleanse the area of this particular group of people. Now, it's, it's more than ethnic cleansing, though, because the people are being murdered. They're not simply being pushed aside. They're being murdered. This very day, the IDP camps are being attacked by the government of Sudan troops and the Janjaweed. Do you uh, think that there will be a movie about Darfur in 10 years? I would not be surprised that if in 10 years there happened to be a, uh, a 10-year commemoration of what happened in the Darfur and that you had politicians crying out, never again should we let something happen as we did in Darfur. One other thing I should note is that I am broaching the issue of a resolution at this week's International Association of Genocide Scholars Conference in Boca Raton calling for an immediate international intervention in Darfur with a Chapter 7 mandate. And there are approximately 200 scholars from around the world who are going to vote on that resolution. And then, depending on whether it's approved or not, that resolution will be sent to President Bush, Condoleezza Rice, Congress, and Secretary General Annan, along with members of the U.N. Security Council. Well, Professor Sam Totten, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting book that you would recommend to our listeners? Yes. A book that I would highly recommend is related to genocide, and it's called Shake Hands with the Devil. Uh, It was recently published in the United States, and the author is Romeo Dallaire, D-A-L-L-A-I-R-E, and he was the general who headed up the U.N. mission in Rwanda, and he was the individual who called for a stronger mandate, a Chapter 7 versus a Chapter 6 mandate. Chapter 6 is peacekeeping, Chapter 7 is peace enforcement, and his plea to the United Nations fell on deaf ears. He did everything humanly possible to assist the victims of that genocide, and yet he saw before his eyes every single day the masses of people who were murdered. Professor Sam Totten, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much. Professor Sam Totten is a scholar in genocide studies at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. The book he recommends is Shake Hands with the Devil, The Failure of Humanity in Rwanda by Romeo Dallaire. You may find additional information about the situation in Darfur on the internet at www.savedarfur.org. That's S-A-V-E-D-A-R-F-U-R dot O-R-G. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org. And I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 621 5075 
Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.